Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the movie theaters just opened back up on Friday, officially. And uh, for me and my wife, Breeze, she's right up here in the front, we love movies. We go to the movies all the time. We watch movies. Before COVID, we would go constantly. We just, we just love the movies. We, we love that stuff. And uh, it was really hard when they were gone, but now they're back, so we're going to try to get back into the swing of things, and we're excited about that. But I wanted to open up the message today talking about a movie. Um, it's a movie you should have known, you should have seen at some point in your life, The Wizard of Oz. Has anybody seen that movie? Raise your hand. Hopefully you've seen it. Yeah, pretty much everybody. You've had plenty of time. It came out in 1939, so I don't know if you haven't seen it at this point. I don't know what you were waiting on. But it's an it's a interesting, kind of odd, strange movie. Uh, it's a story about a girl named Dorothy and her little dog Toto, and she gets sucked up in a tornado and cast into a faraway land um, that's just um, very odd. There's a lot of odd things going on in this land. And Dorothy just wants to get home. That's all that she wants, just figure out how to get home. And she finds out from the munchkins that if she follows the yellow brick road and she goes on this journey that there's a guy called the Wizard of Oz and he's in the Emerald City. And if she can get to him, he has the power to get her back home. So she goes on this journey. She starts walking along the path and along the way she finds the Tin Man who has some needs of his own. She finds the Scarecrow. She finds the Lion and she invites him along. She says, hey, if he can solve my problems, he can probably solve yours too. So why don't you join in? Let's, let's go on this journey together. So they get to the Emerald City and they go in and they find the, the wizard's chambers. It's this huge, large room. And as they enter, it gets crazy. It gets real weird. All of this green, glowing light is, is filling this room. There's smoke all around. A massive, floating, almost like holographic head is in the middle. Um, and that is the Wizard of Oz. And he's speaking, and everything he says is really, really loud. It's, it's just overpowering. There is lightning and thunder going on inside. And Dorothy begins to make her requests to the, to the wizard. And his answers, she's confused by. And they're just completely overwhelmed, all of them, the whole entire group. And they're so focused on the power that the wizard is displaying in this moment that they miss a very important detail of, of what's going on. But the little dog Toto doesn't miss it. And he kind of tots over to the side and he bites onto this curtain and he starts to pull this curtain back. And the curtain o- opens up and there's a man behind that curtain. And everyone kind of looks and they're all kind of shocked and weirded out. What, what is going on here? Who is this guy? And as they go over and begin to talk to him, they find out the truth. Now, this chunk of the Wizard of Oz, this, this end piece, is sort of what we're going to do today in the message that I have for you, that the Lord's put on my heart. We're going to be like Toto. We're going to pull back a curtain on a miracle that Jesus does. And we're going to reveal the man behind the miracle. And that's what the title of this message will be, The Man Behind the Miracle. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. You can start turning there. And we're going to read through all of it up front together. But what we're going to do, um, I'm going to explain it a little bit more afterward, is begin to take apart this miracle and help us understand the truth about who Jesus really is. 
So let's go ahead and read together all of these verses, verses 31 through 37, so we're all on the same page, and then we'll go back through after. It says, verse 31, And then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. In taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, Jesus touched his tongue. In looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf and the mute speak. Okay, now that we're all kind of on the same page, we've read this text, I just want to ask you a quick question. Out of this scripture we just read, what grabs your attention? If you're, if you're like me, probably what grabbed your attention was the super weird part where Jesus sticks his fingers in people's ears and then spits on his hands and rubs that on the guy's tongue. And the reason why it sticks out to you is because it's gross. <laughs> We're not going to hide behind that. It, it is. It's kind of gross what's going on. It seems weird. It's strange. It's bizarre. And it's not really relatable on the surface. It seems confusing. What is going on? That's the question that we ask. But sometimes in this text, in the Bible as we read, and in, in life itself, we're so focused and fixated on the miracle that we miss the man behind it. And if we're not careful, if we miss who Jesus truly is and his, his miracles become our focus, then we lose out on the truth and the intimacy that we're supposed to have with Jesus. So the title of this message was The Man Behind the Miracle. And as we go through this, what we're going to do is peel away the curtain of this miracle, the, the kind of weirdness, the craziness, and we're going to kind of take a step back and look at who Jesus really is and what we learn about the man behind the miracle. And I just want to be upfront with you. As we go through this, there's going to be six truths that I'm going to share with you about Jesus to give us insight into who he is. And on the surface, they're not going to be direct things that we apply to our lives, but at the end, they're going to give us an understanding of him that will allow us to apply these truths to our lives in a deeper way. So let's go ahead and start to break this down, reread verses 31 and 32 with me so we can start picking it apart. It said, Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. So we're going to pause right here because there's some really crucial context things that we need to understand that help us understand what's really taking place here. Jesus, in this moment, is traveling. He's walking through um, a region called the Decapolis, which is a cluster of 10 cities. And these cities were Gentile cities, which means non-Jewish. 
So these cities that Jesus is going through, they're not really familiar with the Bible, with the scripture. They don't really know a lot about Jesus at all. They just have little rumors here and there. They don't have the information, especially that what we have, but they didn't even have the information of what the people had of this, this time in this era. So Jesus is walking through this area, and crowds are forming around him, and a group of people brings this guy to Jesus. It says he was a deaf and mute man. But the wording that the Bible uses right here, that Mark, the author of this, this book that we're reading right now, the wording that he uses to describe this man is very interesting and important. Because what the wording is, is magilelas, and that term is only used in one other place in the Bible. It's used in Isaiah 35. And the reason this is important is because Mark, by using this word, is trying to tie for us, the reader, in a context clue to help us understand what's happening in the rest of this story. So I want to read for you. The verses will be up on the screen as well. Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6, where, where this word is used. It said, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, this chunk of Isaiah 35 is talking about the coming Savior, the person who has not yet come yet as the, when Isaiah wrote it, but it's going to be the person who is going to bring hope to the world. He's going to bring what had been destroyed, and he's going to turn that destruction into restoration. Jesus is going to turn what is dead into life. He's going to end sin and the grip that it has on humanity. He's going to put a stop to it, and he's going to bring freedom and hope to the world. And this leads us to understand and, and the first truth about who Jesus is. The man behind the miracle is the Savior and hope of the world. And on the surface, if you've gone to church for any length of time, this can seem super basic and generic, like you've heard this a million times. But trust me, it's not. It's so much more than that. And, and we're going to see what that actually means, Jesus being the Savior and the hope of the world, as we continue to pick this apart. Because what it said was that this man, this deaf and mute man, was brought to Jesus. Right? In this time, in this society, this man was very low class in his, in his social class, essentially. Um, he was in the same category as slaves and little children which means that there was like no expectations for this guy at all. People overlooked him constantly. I want you to imagine this guy's life. He probably had to beg to survive. Very unlikely that he had many people that actually cared about him because of his social class. He would have been extremely isolated and lonely. He can't hear what people are saying to him. He can't communicate. His tongue doesn't function correctly. He's not able to communicate messages to anybody. He would live such a broken life. But he finds himself 
in the presence of Jesus as these people bring him. All this guy knew when he's being brought to them, to, to Jesus, he's just coming to a crowd. All, he just doesn't really know what's going on. He's ushered into a large crowd of people, Jesus at the center. He doesn't know what's happening right now. But all this man does know is his hopelessness, his brokenness, the issues that he's facing. That's what he knows. And is there any better place for this man's fate to wind up than in front of the Savior and hope of the world? That's what Mark is trying to drive home, that those who are in a hopeless state need to find themselves in this place. You know, they brought this man to Jesus because probably these people thought Jesus was some sort of magician. They didn't really understand who Jesus was. Um, as I said before, they didn't have the scriptures, the, the prophecies of, of who Jesus was, that he was coming. They didn't really know all of that. They had just kind of heard rumors. And it was um, common for there to be people who are called magicians at this time. And I'm not talking about like fun magic show magicians. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, when, it, when, they're, when they're talking about this, um, it is a magician who claims to have connection to spirits and who uses that connection to do different works. And ultimately, their goal is to be almost become the center of attention, to make money, to gain some power and influence over people's lives. And they wanted to kind of awe and ooh people into um, like a, a recognition of themselves. And that's kind of who the people think Jesus is. So when they're bringing this man to him, there's probably some aspect of compassion to it, for sure, a little bit. But there's also kind of the, the heart of, hey, we might get a cool show out of this. That's kind of what the people have in mind as they bring this man to Jesus and, and put him in front of him. But what Jesus does, what the people didn't know, gives way for a really beautiful moment in this man's life. And let's keep on reading so we can start to see it. Verses 33 through 35. In taking this man aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, Jesus touched his tongue. In looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So, let's stop right here. This is kind of where the bizarre, weird stuff starts to begin. Stuff that I mentioned in the, in the beginning. But it's actually a lot less bizarre and weird if we dig a little deeper, and it's a lot more beautiful and special. And that's what I want to bring out of this as we peel away this curtain of the weirdness that we're, that we're reading about. What we see right off the bat is Jesus not being like a common magician like people would have thought him to be. Said that Jesus takes the man away from the crowds and into private. That's really beautiful. Because what Jesus is doing in this guy's life is not turning him into a show. He's not making him into a spectacle. He's not taking advantage of him. It's not what Jesus does at all. Jesus is not a manipulative person. What Jesus does is break him away and take him away from the distractions of that crowd. And he's doing this with a purpose. But before we kind of go more into it, I just want to bring this principle to life for us where we're at in, in our lives right now. This principle is, do we prioritize time away from the crowds to spend with Jesus? 
This is great, what we're doing right now. Don't, do not get me wrong. This is a really good thing, coming to church, being present on a Sunday. That's awesome. It, is, it has value and it's special. However, you need to make time separated, alone, in the privacy between you and Jesus. You need that because there's something special that comes from that. And if you're not making that a priority, if this is all you got, you're missing so much intimacy with Jesus as we're about to find out. This is where that bizarre stuff starts to take place, the weird, after Jesus takes him away and meets him in private. Oftentimes, that's kind of how it is with us, is when we meet with Jesus on our own, you start to have the weird moments with him where he starts to show you some stuff you don't know if you were ready for. What Jesus does is really special. Jesus gets him off to the side. He's private now. It's just between him and this man. And he reaches out and he sticks his fingers in the guy's ear holes. On the surface, if we read through it quick, what in the heck is going on? Why are you doing that? The reason Jesus is doing this is he's, he's beginning to connect the dots and communicate a message. This man doesn't have speech the way that we have. He's not able to understand things the way most people can. And what Jesus is doing is showing him what I'm about to do. I'm breaking you away. There's a moment that you and I are about to have between one another. And it's connected to this issue you have with your ears. And I'm going to touch them and understand that the fact that I am touching them means that I am connected to what is about to take place with your ears that don't currently work. And then what Jesus does, I still think this is gross and weird. It is. It's okay. He spits on his hands. He spits and then he touches his tongue, gets his hands kind of spit up. And he touches the guy's tongue. And what he's trying to show this man is that Jesus' tongue that is lubricated, that functions well, that, that, that produces spit, that moves properly, he's going to transfer that to this man. He's trying to communicate this message across to him. He's breaking down what's about to take place. He wants this man to see him for what's about to happen. And then what does Jesus do? It said that he takes a step back and he looks up into heaven and he sighs. And the word that I use for sigh means to like groan or do it in a very expressive manner. What Jesus is doing there is he's trying to show this man that he feels the pain, the brokenness, and he's looking up to heaven, which everyone at this time, no matter what your understanding of things were, was, um, you would recognize that as being God, God above. So what Jesus is doing is saying, I feel your pain. I'm appealing to God above. And what is about to take place is going to move from God to me into you. What Jesus is doing is so personal. And that shows us with this next piece that we learn about the man behind the miracle. The man behind the miracle is deeply personal. Jesus is not aloof and far off. If you'll let him in, the stuff that he's going to do is so integrated into who you are. And what Jesus is doing is cultivating this man's faith. 
He's not just kind of pushing him along blindly and trying to move him out the door. Jesus wants this guy to understand who he is. Even in his, his trouble, Jesus is cultivating faith, personal faith that this man can have for himself in belief in who Jesus is and what he's about to do. And we don't know for sure if this man connected all the dots, but we know that Jesus was doing that for him. And apparently to Jesus, the man knew enough at this point, he understood enough for him to take it to the next step. And what Jesus does is he says the words ephatha, which means be opened. And that's an Aramaic term, ephatha. Um, the, the term that he uses in Aramaic, there's a reason why. It's because in this region that he is, that, that Decapolis region we talked about in the beginning, that's the language they spoke. And you can almost imagine what Jesus is doing right here is becoming the anti-magician. Because magicians of this time, like we talked about earlier, they would speak in unintelligible words. They would claim to have this connection that nobody else could have, and they would speak in mumblings and, and, and phrases that no person could understand or interpret, and they would do that with the intention of shocking people and making them odd. But what Jesus does is completely the opposite. He wants to make absolutely clear that what he is saying is for this man, and people need to understand that he is speaking clear words. There's nothing to be missed here. And that shows us this next thing, the next aspect of the man behind the miracle. And that is that the man behind the miracle wants to be understood clearly. I know in my own life, it's been really easy for me to believe that Jesus and the way God works is like this super cryptic, mysterious, weird God. And I got to figure out the secret formula for me to understand what he's trying to communicate to me. I remember times when I, when I would think, maybe if I want to hear from God, what I need to do is I need to pray really, really hard. I need to just get in a really silent place. And if I can just sit there for long enough and clear my brain of all, distra- all distractions and all my thoughts and just hold that for long enough, then I'll hear God. I'll hear the voice of God. I would think that. I remember thinking, maybe to hear from God, what I need to do is go outside on a windy day, hold my Bible open, wait for the pages to be blown around, and then, shoot, this is what God wants me to know. That is not how God works. I'm not saying that he can't use that from time to time, but God wants to speak to you clearly. It's so much easier than that. Jesus, when he's speaking these words, he's proving to us, he's showing us, that he doesn't want to be cryptic. He doesn't want to get lost in translation. He wants you to know him. He wants you to understand him. He wants you to hear him. He wants to clear the barriers for you to understand him. And a lot of the times when we're not hearing from the Lord, we're we're missing it, it's just because we're overlooking it. Almost like when you have a pair of sunglasses or maybe your keys and they're right in your pocket or something and you're looking for them all over your house and you're like, where, where are these things? And you tear the house upside down to try to find it. And it turns out they're just right there. A lot of time that's, that's how it is with the Lord as he speaks to us. We miss it because we don't understand how simple it actually is. Just like Jesus was speaking to this man that we talked about when he was putting his fingers in his ears and and 
licking his hands and touching the guy's tongue. When Jesus is doing that stuff, he's speaking that man's language. Do you know that Jesus speaks your language? He speaks in the terms that you understand. He's not cryptic. He's not confusing. He's not all mystical the way that we think him to be. He uses what you know, and he grows you with that to understand him further. I told you in the beginning, I love movies, like a lot. We watch so many movies. I cannot tell you how many times God has used a movie to speak to me. Or I love different sports, and God has used used that to speak to me. And it's really important to understand, God speaks our language. The voice of God is so close to our own thoughts, it's easy to miss at times. But there's really just two little keys that you need to know of discerning whether or not it's the voice of God or not. First one, if the voice of God is speaking to you, you think he might be saying something to you, it's going to be backed up by God's word. It's going to be backed by what's in here. That's why it's important to meet with God one-on-one and to study this so that you can understand him when he speaks. You can weigh, was this just me having a thought or was that the Lord speaking? Does that align with God's word? Yes, it's probably him. No matter how weird it is, whether it's some weird song you heard on the radio or it's scripture itself. And the other thing that you need to know to discern whether it's the Lord or not is does this glorify Jesus? If it's pointing to you, eh, maybe, not, maybe it's not from the Lord. If it's pointing to someone else being glorified, maybe not from the Lord. It's going to point to Jesus. It's going to glorify his name. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he speaks to us. So those are the two quick things. And I just wanted to kind of run through those because I think that's important for us to understand. Jesus wants to speak to you clearly. The man behind the miracle, all the weirdness that we're reading here, he wants you to understand him. So what Jesus said was, Ephatha, be opened. And that word, Um, literally means to thoroughly open what had been closed. means to open something that was shut that you couldn't open on your own. But it actually has a double meaning. It means that, means like to do that physically, but it also means it um, in like a metaphorical sense. It means to be given understanding in something that previously could not be understood. So what's amazing about that is when Jesus speaks these words to this man, it's like he's double sharing with us what's actually taking place. He's saying, Ephatha, be opened. Have your ears and your mouth, your tongue freed, your, your, your ears and your physical issue opened. What was previously closed, let it be opened. And then he's also saying, let there be understanding in you where there wasn't before. And for all of those present, Let there be understanding. Have your minds opened to what it is that I'm doing. Jesus, when he says these words, what he's showing us, this is the the next truth about him that, that we learn. The man behind the miracle can do what no other man ever could. This man lived a whole life of being deaf and mute And he lived a life of not understanding or having access to God. And now in that same moment, this man, this person we talked about in the beginning, the man behind the miracle, who is the savior and hope of the world, steps into his life 
and does what no other person ever could by giving him physical healing, but also opening up his mind and his heart spiritually to what is actually happening in that moment, to who Jesus is. Jesus not only holds the keys over the physical, but he holds the keys over the spiritual. We don't have all the answers physically speaking, and we almost have none of the answers spiritually speaking without God. But Jesus holds those keys. And Jesus wants this man to realize him as a savior, as a spiritual Lord, not just as a healer. And that's important for us as well, because even after all of this stuff that Jesus does, after all of these, these strange interactions, all the things that Jesus is doing to break the norm of what they would have expected, all of the stuff that Jesus does with this man personally, all the things that we've been learning as we look at Jesus deeper, we peel away that veil. Even after all of that, the people still weren't really able to see the truth and to understand it. They didn't grasp it all. They were still missing it. It's easy for us to do that too. And Jesus begins to give some commands to these people. That's what we're going to read to kind of end this stuff off. Verses 36 and 37. Sorry, I lost my spot. Said, And Jesus charged them, or that means to command, and Jesus commanded them to tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf and the mute speak. The next thing, the next truth that we learn about Jesus in this little chunk right here that we just read together is that the man behind the miracle wants followers who know him in truth. He wants followers who know him in truth. Jesus didn't come to be a celebrity. That's not why he came. Jesus didn't come to be an entertainer. He doesn't want this, what we're doing right now, when we worship God in song or when when someone is speaking his word. He doesn't want that to be entertainment. That's not his intention at all. He came to be a savior. He came to be a redeemer. He came to open what had been closed that no one else could open. That's what Jesus did. Jesus opened the door and has allowed us access to God that we could have never had otherwise. An intimacy with God, that deep personal relationship. That's what he came for, to give us that. He doesn't desire us to be his fans. He wants us to be his followers. And even more than that, he wants us to be his friends, to know him like deeply, to connect with him deeply. And even though it takes time for us to to work this stuff out, it takes time for us to grow in this relationship, it's not instantaneous, God does work those things out. He does bring it to fruition where we can understand him in ways we never thought possible. And Jesus does this work well in our lives. And that's what these people realize. Jesus charged them, "Don't, don't be telling people some, something that I'm not. I don't need you going around to the countryside and telling people that there's a, a crazy magician healer. Just close your mouths about that. 
unless you understand who I am. That's what Jesus wanted. So Jesus, in that action, even though he's sharing that, these people don't really listen. They go and they proclaim it anyway. But they acknowledge that what this guy does, what this man behind that miracle does, is crazy. It's so great. The work that he accomplishes is incredible. And this is the last truth that, that we, we come to about Jesus. The man behind the miracle does all things with excellence. And this is really important for us. Because even when we don't see how it all works, even though we don't always understand what Jesus is doing, we don't understand some of the weirdness that he's putting in our life or why he's allowing certain things, even though we don't get all that, we can trust that Jesus does all things well. If you're a follower of him, if you've trusted him in him as your savior, you understand that he is the savior and hope of the world. If you've recognized that, then you should be able to trust him with whatever, whether you see results immediately or not, or even at all. You can trust that Jesus does all things well, like what these people say. Jesus is so much more accessible and personal and connected in our lives than we give him credit for and than we even think him to be. And Jesus did not sacrifice himself on the cross for our sins. He didn't pay the the price for our sin and open the door for that access for us to go on and then live mediocre lives of faith, shallow lives of understanding him. He didn't die for that. And it's a shame if we walk through life with that type of mentality. If we never gain this depth, this intimacy, this connection that Jesus is growing with this man. If we don't come to the understanding of who this man behind the miracle is and not only understand it, but then dive into it to get to know him better, to allow him to know us better. If we don't do that, we're wasting this gift. And we don't want to do that. The miracles are great. I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles. He does. I've seen God do some incredible, special things. But sometimes the miracles become such a focal point in our minds that we completely miss them. Do you understand that what we are reading here, this miracle that Jesus did was supposed to be a sign. That's all it was, was a sign pointing to Jesus as being that guy from Isaiah 35 the one who turns deserts into streams. He turns wilderness into cultivated, lush lands. He turns what is broken into something that is healed. He's a restorer. He ends the destruction and sin. That's what Jesus does. And if we're so fixated on just what he can do in our life, we completely miss that. Don't allow Jesus to become nothing more in your life than just a physical problem solver. I oftentimes think that we view God like a customer service desk in the sky. When we have a problem, we, we reach out, hey, I got this issue, could you handle that? And then that's it. That is, that is such a waste. And I've lived that way for a very long time. You know, personally in my life right now, a lesson that Jesus is teaching me he, that I'm learning slowly really does come down to what I'm, I'm sharing with you here today is that God wants me to know him so much better than I know him right now. 
Jesus wants to reveal himself to me in ways that I could never think possible. And he wants to do this apart from the show. He wants to do this apart from the audience, from the crowds. He wants to do this in a one-on-one capacity with me. He wants to open my eyes spiritually to what I couldn't see before. Bring spiritual healing and spiritual understanding to me. You know, that is his desire for this church. I know that's his desire for this church. It breaks my heart to see Jesus' church not know him the way that they could. And God has been driving this into me so much lately that if we can come to know him in a better, deeper capacity, it's going to change everything. Here, just at Awaken, but also in our world. It's going to change things. But only if we can come to this deeper intimacy with him. If we can start to see the man behind the miracle as opposed to just the miracle itself. I want to leave you guys with just two quick questions. I want you guys to write these down and think about these as you go out today. The first question I have for you is when God has moved in your life, what does that teach you about him? When God has moved in your life, what does that teach you about him? Don't just chalk it up as a, hey, God did this cool thing. He answered my prayer. It's great that he did that. That is awesome. But it was meant to be something more than that. It's supposed to be a sign pointing to him. So ask yourself that. Think about those moments. And then secondly, what about Jesus' behavior in this scripture that we just read together? What about Jesus' behavior stuck out to you? Because maybe the Lord wants to use that thing to begin to cultivate something in your life. I know for me, there's a whole bunch of things that stuck out. And as I dug into those things deeper, Jesus showed me some stuff about himself and about what he's doing in my own life. So I want to just leave you with those two questions. And I'm going to close us out with prayer as the, the worship team comes out again and we close out. And I'm going to pray for you guys, that you would come to a deeper intimacy with him, that you would begin to peel away the curtain of the works and the things that Jesus is doing. You'd peel that away so that you can see the man behind the miracle in a deeper, more intimate sense. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.